A good morning to the Driven Church. If you're a visitor this morning, we welcome you. We pray that God encourages you this morning. And uh, it proves beneficial that you have found yourself here at 100 Hobson Way on this Sunday morning. Hey, if you, uh, Danny, could you turn the lights up, please? Turn, turn them on up some more, if you would, please. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And I, and I say that to those of you who uh, you know, have your Bibles with you, you may turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. And we're going to close out chapter 13 today. As you guys know, we're doing this study through the book of uh, Exodus. This is something we do here. We've done studies through Ephesians. We've done studies through the book of, of uh, Acts. We've done studies through the entire book of Genesis. And we are 13 chapters into um, uh, Exodus. And this is the 22nd sermon in the Exodus series. And so we're going to close out chapter 13 today. We're going to read uh, a few verses here. And you may be excited at uh, uh, how many verses we're reading this morning. We'll be reading from verses 17 through verse 22. Amen? And this is what the scripture says, okay? It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid. Now remember when Joseph in the book of Genesis uh, uh, makes them swear an oath to him that they would take his bones, they would not leave his bones in Egypt. There are two things that's being implied there in this statement by Joseph. One was, Egypt wasn't his home. He had recalled the promise that Abraham had received for a land of their own. So he knew he didn't even want his bones buried in a foreign land. The other thing that he implies here, or he recognizes and acknowledges, is that God would have to come to their aid, meaning they would be in a place where God was needed to come to their aid. Now at the moment of his death, they're in a pretty good spot of prosperity while in Egypt at that moment. So when he is revealing this, that there will come a time in the life of the Hebrews while in Egypt that God will need to rescue them, that is uh, derived completely from the revelation that had been given previously about their slavery. So he was believing and trusting, even though he didn't see it in his lifetime, he was believing that this thing would come to pass. I mean, believing straight to the grave. Man, that's the kind of faith I want to have, Kevin. I want to believe... Uh, uh, all the way through my life, Ben, I want to arrive at death's door with as much confidence and faith in God as I've ever experienced at any juncture in my life. And so Joseph makes them swear this oath to him. And he says, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. 
After leaving Sukkoth, they, came, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we have gathered here on, on this occasion to worship you. We've gathered here to hear your word. We've gathered here for instructions and directions. We have gathered here to be led by your spirit and your, your, your truth, which is revealed in the written word. So, Father, even the subject matter in which is found in the, the text this morning, as, as we uh, uh, share that, as we expound on that this morning, I pray, God, that it would set in the hearts of every person here. Each person is in a different place at this very moment, and yet you can speak to each of them uniquely out of the same word regarding the place they find themselves at in their life today. And so we're going to trust you this morning, and not just this morning, we're going to trust you moving forward. We love you, you love us, and for that we are so, so grateful. Amen. Amen. Is that rain or is that just the air? It's just the air, so I got excited for nothing. I told Billy last night, I said, it's so dry in my house, I could hear the moles coughing last night as they were eating through my yard. I mean, you just, I mean, out there choking to death. But uh, so when it does rain, give God glory for the rain because we need it. Hey, uh, one of the things before we move on, I just want to touch on a, a couple of things that we had covered last week. You know, we had, we had touched on the, the directions given by God regarding the, the, the feast of unleavened bread, and we had emphasized the importance on remembering, right? We had talked about that. And we had talked about, because God said when you come into the land of the, land of the Canaanites, Hittites, and all the other Zites, when you come into that land, remember, and in that land where milk and honey flow, remember, because we had touched on the reality that sometimes conflict has a way of, of, of disconnecting us from the thing that God has done and kind of disorienting us. And then there's times when blessings can become a disorienting factor in our lives, right? Where, you know, things are going so good, we just forget about God, right? That happens too. We also touched on the fact that uh, remembering isn't just a thought process. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word zakar actually uh, suggests that remembering requires an effort, and it's a process of continual remembering. It's not something you just forget, you, you remember for a moment, but it's a continual because you need a continual remembering. Now, let, let me say this to you and kind of set the groundwork uh, right here. It is no shocker to me, nor should it be to you, that this emphasis that God has given to them to remember how his mighty hand had moved in Egypt proceeds the parting of the Red Sea and the great conflict that awaits them. You know, uh, sometimes when someone's reminding you to remember the thing that God has done for you, don't be shocked. Even when God brings it back up into your spirit, 
it's, it's happening. Don't be shocked that it's happening because there may be some conflict around the corner. And he's prepping you and getting you ready. He's setting your mind and your spirit in a given posture to be able to face or even embrace a moment of conflict, even a hostile type of a situation. And so God is emphasizing all this. Now the one thing that I do sometimes, and I'm sure you do, is that when those crisis moments come up in my life, sometimes my navigating skills are not the best. You know what I'm talking about? Are you with me? You ever done that? Sometimes uh, uh, my ability to, not just to remember, but to be able to follow in those crisis moments. Sometimes I'll get a, 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 a panic in my spirit. And I should not, I should not be like, I should, I should be trusting God. But I say that so that you can identify with a man up here who's, who's talking. So you can say, okay, I'm not by myself. Because sometimes that happens to me. As a matter of fact, sometimes we get out there, and it's not even in, in the crisis moments. Sometimes it's just in everyday decision making. We can uh, we can get kind of a a, a little a little uh, chaotic in our spirits and our minds, and we can make some really crazy decisions. I saw a commercial, and in this commercial, it kind of reflected uh, what I'm trying to communicate today. Could you play that commercial for me? Check this out. You ever been here? The individual that's back here controlling that right now, he's in a panic mode. Turn it up. Turn it up, up, up. Okay, that's good. That's good. You understand what I'm talking about? There are moments in our lives when uh, certain things are happening, and it doesn't necessarily have to be great things, but we just kind of go into full-blown panic mode, and we can make some pretty foolish decisions uh, when we should be following God. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this scripture. We're going to really concentrate on verses 17 and 18, but we're going to find ourselves closing out. We're going to get to the end of this chapter and there's a few things that I think is going to be beneficial to you. I know they're beneficial to me as a reminder about some principles when it comes to following God. Amen? Because that's what we're all uh, saying that we're doing, correct? Okay, let's look at this. Let's look at this. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. And this is how it starts out. It said, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. One of the things that I have to always remind myself of, and I want to remind you guys of, of this this morning, is this. God's way is always the best way. God's direction is always the best direction. Now, I don't know if you're like me in this sense, but every time I make a trip somewhere out of town, out of the area in which I'm accustomed to, one of the first things that I do, Violet and Mildred, is I'll pull up that GPS. How many of you have a, 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 a favorable disposition towards your GPS? 
And when you travel outside of town, that's one of the first things you do. You GPS your destination. And when we GPS our destination, it isn't always just the quickest means in getting there. What we're also trying to navigate is where are all the, 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 the traffic jams? Road construction. Because what we have a tendency to do in our life, we want to avoid extra travel, a longer trip, and we want to avoid any type of resistance on that trip. Right? And there's times that if we're not careful, these, these conditions in our heart that we kind of bend towards, uh, kind of uh, work their way in, bleed into our spiritual lives. And as we're pursuing God, we're asking God, I need, we'll say, Lord, we need the quickest way with the least amount of resistance. Right? I mean, isn't that really what we all want? None of us are saying, give me the long way. None of us are saying, give me the difficult way. But we should be saying, if that's, if that's part of God's way, then I'm willing to take that because I need to be traveling the way God needs me to be traveling. Right? Even if it requires a level of discomfort, a, 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 a few bumps along the road, whatever it might be, understanding and resolving in our hearts right off the bat that God's way is the absolute best way for you, for your children, for your grandchildren. If you don't resolve that, you will always be, be swinging back and forth in your decision-making because there's going to come points in your life where you're going to think in your own reasoning and in your own understanding that I can navigate this better than God can lead me. And if you don't resolve that God's way is the best way, that'll be a, a, a manifestation, that'll be a condition that'll, that'll constantly be manifesting itself in your life and you'll be going from one to the other. And so we need to resolve that right off the bat. As a matter of fact, Psalms chapter 5, verse 8, says this, Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Now, I, I love the, 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 the Hebrew word for straight. It's yashar. And you know what that word actually means. And it's translated really well in the NLT, which I don't read a whole lot, but it's translated really well in the NLT when it says, make your way plain for me to follow. The word yashar literally translates easily traceable. Easily traceable. So the psalmist is saying, in light of my enemies... Lead me, O oh Lord, and lead me in a way that I can track, in a way that I can see, in a way where I'm not going to make mistakes. Because the reality for most of us, it isn't that we don't want to follow God. It's the times when we're unsure if this is the path to follow God. Is this where God is leading me? Is this what God is saying to me? Is this what God is calling me to do? Most of us have no problem saying yes to God. It is the uncertainty in our hearts that make those decisions so difficult for us. And so the psalmist is saying in that moment when he said, make my, my, uh, my, my path straight, he's, he's saying, make it clear to me. You and I should be praying to God that very thing. Make your path trackable for me to see 
Let me be able to see it. That way I'll know where I need to go. There's nothing wrong with asking God. It isn't that I'm asking God, I need to see the final destination. But God, I need to see the next step. I need, just show me. I ain't asking about tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. I'm talking about now. Where do you want me now? Make it clear and I'll step right there. And when the next step is made clear, I'll step right. I need it easily traceable. And that's what the psalmist is saying, right? Right in that moment. But let me say this to you. Whether we want it or we don't want it, Jay, God's way is sometimes long. Sometimes he takes us the long way. Now, shortcuts may get you to the destination sooner, but God's destination in our lives involves three factors. The where, the when, and the what. God's plan has us at the right place at the right time doing the right thing. You can actually arrive at the right destination to do the right thing at the wrong time. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so sometimes the long route is required to deliver you at the right time under the right conditions. I remember, I remember as a young man of the faith and God calling me to share the word. I remember that. And you guys remember when I've told you several times that I was the kid in school who would, you couldn't pay me enough money to stand up here. I'm telling you, I would fret. I would, I'm telling you, I'd be so tore up. And I remember when God was calling me to share. I'm telling you, I, the very thought of getting up in front of people left me just paralyzed. And I've shared that with you guys. The thought of standing, I mean, looking in the mirror, I would just lock up. I mean, I, it just terrified me. I don't know what some of you were thinking. Well, if I was looking in the mirror and saw that, I'd lock up too. I'm telling you, it's terrible. And let me say this. If you would have told me as a young man who's receiving a call from God that I would be where I'm at right now doing what I'm doing, where I'm doing it at, it would have absolutely crushed my spirit. It would have completely overwhelmed me, Dave. It would have completely broke me. It would have been, I would have seen the task as too heavy, too, too, too large, too, too big for my ability to even, even begin to embrace such a responsibility. I would have buckled if you would have thrown me into the situation that I find myself in right now. I could not have done it, yet the call was legitimate then. But over the course of my life, over the course of my life, there were times, Kellen, you know this, I might preach once a year. But, but being called to share the gospel was a lot more than just being in the pulpit preaching. There was a call on my life to share the gospel, but there was also an equipping that God was doing in the calling. And there were things that I was learning, Blair, when I wasn't by the pulpit. There were experiences that I was, that I was having. There was heartbreak I was experiencing. There were things taking place in my life that have prepared me for the place that I'm at now that I could not have gotten there had I taken the shortcuts, I would not have chosen the things that I've experienced because they've been difficult and painful, but they bore in me 
an experience and an equipping that I could not have ascertained any other way. You don't get it in classrooms. You don't suffer the pain I've suffered sitting in theology 101. You don't do it in homiletics class. You don't get those kinds of things. But on that road and on that path, I begin to learn some things. I begin to experience some things. I begin to understand people better. I begin to understand me better. And needless to say, I begin to understand God better. And so sometimes the long way is the necessary way. It is the absolute necessary way. There are things you learn, acquire, and experience on that journey that you receive no other way that allow you to arrive at the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing. I told you guys this. I remember the first sermon I preached up here at Buffalo Church of Nazarene. I remember I, I was so jacked up and confused. I was sitting back there. You know, we, we had the whole choir thing. You know, some of you guys come out of a church, you know, you got the three or four pews behind you, and, and you got a couple little benches. Well, I'm up there with the pastor. And, and everybody knew the kid from the housing project was going to be preaching that night. So there's a couple, two or three. I think some of them Nazarene Church and a couple of them uh, canceled their services and came up there. That terrified me. They said, oh, yeah, this other church is joining you at night. Locked up. Like, and, I, and I remember I remember Pat Merrill, jumping jack. Well, that cat was a jumping jack, man. I remember he was sitting back there. He was grinning the whole day. He grinned from ear to ear. And I think he knew what was about to happen. And, and uh, he stepped away, and they were about to take offering. I thought it was my time. So I got up there and started to read the script. He said, whoa, 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 slow down. He said, we're taking offering. So I got my Bible, and I walked by. I was looking at people like I was angry. I got, I got, I got embarrassed. I had on my $90 JCPenney suit. He had to wear a suit and tie, you know. Hunter Green, it looked good. It was a nice-looking suit. For a man 50 years old. And, and I said, and so he called me up there and it was finally my time. I'm telling you, I, I preached every bit of, I, I don't know, five, eight minutes. Yeah, you ain't getting that. <laughs> no, no. You ain't getting, pray all you want to, you ain't getting eight minute sermon. And I got burned out and I preached a, a five. And I, I mean, I was, a, I was a jacked up mess. I was a jacked up mess. No way, no way was I ready to do what God had called me to do. But the lessons began. The lessons began. And that's where one of them started. And then there were some difficult things I learned. There were some rejection things I learned. There were some things, there were some difficult lessons I learned about pleasing God and not pleasing man. That's some things God taught me. When I, when, there were times when people wanted me to do things a certain way, and I was like, that's not what God's told me to do. I'm, and, and so I got the, the old church cold shoulder. You know, if you ever get that at church, the old cold shoulder, you know. And I had to learn, and, and God taught me through that. He said, Trent, you, you, you going to please them, or are you going to please me? That was a lesson I learned. Got me to the place where I'm at now, and I'm still carrying that in my mind and in my spirit. Trent, are you going to be a God pleaser or a man pleaser? That's something I didn't have at the beginning that I have now. There's a lot of things, a lot of things I ascertain. So I say to you, the long road is necessary not just for me, but it might be necessary for you too. There's things that God is wanting to do for you. He's wanting you to acquire. He's wanting you to experience. 
So when you get to that right place or places, right, at the right time or times, you'll be equipped to be doing the right thing or right things. Don't curse the long road. You might be on the long road right now. Don't curse it. Start gleaning. Reach out there, man. You know what I'm talking about, Kevin? What is it? If I'm on the long road, man, let me at least glean. Let me learn. Let me grasp. Let me connect to these things. Let me not waste the long road. Then the scripture says this. It says, oh, let, let me just say this to you. So you'll understand there's biblical context for this notion of calling and then arriving and the fact that they don't necessarily happen at the same moment. You go into 1 Samuel. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12? You go, you go around in that, in that moment, uh, 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 Samuel had gone out to Jesse. Remember Jesse? Remember he had the eight boys, you know? And they're looking for a king. Because God had already told Samuel, said, Samuel, why are you whining about King Saul? He said, I found a king. After my own, I found, a, I found my own king. Go down to the house of Jesse. So he goes down to the house of Jesse. And he says to Jesse, hey, I've come down here. I'm, I'm looking for somebody on behalf of God. I'm the prophet. He said, I, I, I'm looking for a king, basically. Who do you got that might qualify? And remember... He brings in all seven sons before Samuel. And Samuel says to him, these aren't the ones. Do you have any more? And remember what Jesse says? I do have a younger son. I do have, and let me paraphrase this, but he smells a lot like sheep dung. He's out in the, the shepherd's field. He doesn't quite look like a king material. And you know what the prophet said to him? Go get the shepherd dung smelling kid and bring him to me. Let God decide. Some of you are being called and you smell a little like shepherd dung, right? Those some sheep dung. You know what I'm talking about. You don't have it all together and yet God's calling you. And then this is what the, this is what the scripture says. That he was brought in. He was ruddy. Ruddy. But he had beautiful eyes, is what the scripture says, and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him, for he is the one. Anoint him to be king. Here's the problem. He don't become king for 15 years. The call was there, the anointing was there, but the arrival at the destination, at the throne, doesn't happen for 15 years. All you have to do is read the account of David's life and you see lesson after lesson after lesson, skill after skill after skill being obtained, experience, 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 heartache after heartache after heartache, rejection, 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 betrayal, betrayal, all of these things being contributed into the heart and life of this man would one day, one day travel with him when he arrives on that throne that crown is placed. 
all of those things were necessary that he might rule on behalf of God. But 15 years. You know, there were probably times David thought, man, this is the long road. This is the long road, Jay. I don't know if I'm ever going to get, I need to get to the throne. You wasn't ready for the throne. And God knew it. And Trent, even though I called you, you're not ready. But it doesn't mean that the call is not valid. And it doesn't mean that the call is not valid and the leading isn't valid on your life just because God has spoken to you about something he's wanting to do in your life and he's chosen to take you the long route. And it's to your benefit and the benefit of the place that God is calling you to serve in and those who will benefit around you when you do arrive. And then the scripture says this. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Hmm. Another thing you've got to resolve, okay? God knows you better than you know you. God knows you better than you know you. He knows Trent. Better than Trent knows Trent. And here's something else you've got to understand. God isn't leading us into a place that is taking us back into the bondage he just delivered us from. God didn't deliver them to put them in a place that would compromise their standing with him and lead them straight back into a place of bondage and slavery. And so this is the thing that I will place at your feet today when God is leading you out and changing your life and calling you forth you can't continue to operate in the same manner that you operated in prior to the calling because the things that you were operating in that left you in bondage prior to the calling if you continue to operate in those things they will lead you back into that and God's not about that Sometimes we're, we're called out and, and, and uh, we, we maintain the same relationship patterns and habits. And then all of a sudden we're right back into those bondage of, of relationships that are negative and detrimental to us. And then our spending patterns and habits. God delivers us from financial uh, uh, catastrophes. And then before we know it, Though he's delivered us, we go right back to the exact same things we were doing before. And then we wonder, how did I get back in bondage? And then the thinking patterns and habits. God's left us, God, or God has brought us out. And then all of a sudden, man, we, we're thinking the same way we were thinking before. We've embraced the same notions, the same concepts, the same philosophy, the, the, same pro, the same pattern of processing things. And then all of a sudden we wonder, how in the world did I get back here again? Psalms 25 verse 4 and 5 says this, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. 
for you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. So the scripture says this. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. And here we are. Now we're, we're taking the long route. And you and I ask the question, right? why? Why the long route? Why, why am I? Because we don't understand yet. We don't understand that God's way is better and God knows us better. And so we end up questioning, right? Why the long way? Understanding the long way may be uncomfortable, but it may be saving you from something catastrophic. Because when we're left to our own choices, we have a tendency to self-destruct. And when we do it, we have a tendency to blame God in the midst of it. Now listen, you guys know me. There are certain things that my temperament just, just don't sit well with me. If you're a blamer of God, on the condition of your life. You and I probably don't need to have a conversation. Because in your mind, if God's not above reproach, and you're casting your blames towards heaven, as though he is the failure in the equation of your relationship, a conversation with me is a mute point. Because believe me, it is never God's failure. Never, never, never. As a matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 19 says this. said, a person's own folly leads them, leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages or is angry against the Lord. Why? It's your own folly. And yet you see people like that, bitter towards God, as though he was the reason that their folly decision-making has brought about destruction in their life. Not only that, God sees what we don't, right? God had already spoken, hadn't he? He said, if they get up there and they, and, and they see that there's the potential for war, man, they're liable to turn back. God sees this conflict. God sees these things. And sometimes we just have to trust. He knows better. He knows us better. And he sees what we don't see. Listen, you guys know I've had some really bad experiences in my swimming endeavors in my life, right? You guys know about his brother saving me from drowning just a couple of weeks ago. I had shared that. I've shared with you guys about the time that we had broken into the public swimming pool and I dove off of the, the, the lifeguard's uh, uh, platform and they had drained the pool. I, you know, they drained the pool. Ricky was there. Ricky, you broke in with me. Ricky was guilty. That man's guilty. He was there for God. Ricky was there. And, <laughs> oh, and listen. They, they had drained that pool. You know the story. They had drained the pool down a few feet, and I was up on that. And, but it was dark, and the moon was uh, kind of glistening off the water, and I dove in. And, and by the time my hands reached the bottom of the pool, my face still hadn't reached the water. And I knew in a, in a, in a, a microsecond that I was in trouble, and all of a sudden my face hits the bottom of that concrete. Explains a lot. I come up out of there, face nearly shattered. Ricky don't remember this. Y'all know that story. I've had some bad experience, but one time, I had gone on a, on a little uh, uh, picnic with a family in an old station wagon. And back in the day, you know, it's just like you see the stuff. You see it on Facebook. You know, we, I don't know, we had seven, eight, nine kids in that station wagon. Three of them were in a seat and everybody else was in the back. You just piled in. 
We had a few, you know, uh, 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 packages of buns, some hamburgers, whatnot. This family was poor as we were. They were from the projects too, but they had a car, so I'm going with them. They may not even know when I was in the car. I don't know, but I'm going with them. We end up going down the, the, the little, what they call it, a river down in Hardstown. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's a creek, right? It's a creek. But they called, and we had gone down there, and, and we'd pull the car over there, and there was a, a, a little flat area, so they got stuff out, and, and they started cooking and, and grilling. And so we decided we are going to go swimming in the river slash creek. And there was a down uh, tree laying across the river. So a couple of the guys got out there, and they climbed up on that tree. It was just, just above the surface of the water, and they began to jump off, diving. And at this time, I had learned to swim. I was forced to by near-drowning uh, experience. And, and I decided I'm, I'm going to go out there on that, on that tree, too. And I went out there, and I was holding on that tree in that water. And I, I struggled, fought, clawed, scratched, and I got myself up on top of that log. And I was watching them dive in and whatnot, and there was two or three of them over there in that area. And I said, well, I'm going to dive in on this side. Trees down, there's plenty of them. Trees them fell like this. You've got both sides of the river. And I got up there, and, and I just dove off. I hit that water, and I folded in half. There was probably a branch six or eight inches long underneath the surface, just under the surface. I don't know how long it was, but it was strong enough that it wasn't given. And it caught me right around the ribs. Man, everything in that young boy's body just left him. And I folded around that branch, cracked my ribs, bruised my ribs. I fought my way to the surface. I fought my way to the bank, and I slowly ate each of those hamburgers that day with small bites. Small bites. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was eating broken ribs or not, but I had the contusion, the broken rib, crying while eating a hamburger, crying. All that was real. All that was real. You know what the problem was? I was so caught up in the experience that I became subject to things I could not see. And there's times when God just says, it's a long road for you, brother. And we're up there, we're like, no, God, I'm ready to go swimming. I'm ready to go into the deep end. And God's like, you don't see what's just under the surface. You don't see these things. You don't see what's going to damage you. It looks good. It looks inviting. But, man, there's trouble under the surface. And the whole time we're going the long way, we're looking back and we're fussing, complaining that, that my feet have blisters when your spiritual ribs could be broken. And God said, yeah, yeah, you may suffer a little discomfort, but what I'm trying to save you from is something catastrophic. And so we have to understand that. We have to understand. Sometimes it's just the, wrong, the long way for your own good. And then the scripture, let's look here. And, 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 and the scripture says right there, it says, So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The long road. Now, I, I do want to say this to you, guys. When we're on the long road, and we're not enjoying that, and there comes exits off the long road, when you take the exit, it'll never end good. Because the very thing God's trying to spare you from 
you invite into your life by taking that exit. And you will encounter the thing that God was trying, trying to keep you from encountering. You will. And you know what? There's times God shuts the door on everyone. And every one of us have a difficult time sometimes of navigating that. And God has to shut the door on the mature believer, on the immature believer, the young believer, the old believer. God has to shut, because every one of us, regardless of where you're at, sometimes has a difficult time discerning the path of God. And God shuts those doors because our discernment is fallible, no matter who you are. But if we push back against that, it'll be to our own suffering. As a matter of fact, if you go into Acts, if you go into Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10, the apostle Paul had the same issue that you and I have got. This is what the scripture says. Let me read this to you. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of uh, Phrygia in Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. They've been kept. When they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. They were trying. The door was shut. The Spirit wouldn't allow them. Paul was trying to get there. His companions were trying to get there. You would have thought in all the praying and discerning that they would have just said, let's save some time. God's directing us. We'll just go where God wants us. But they too had a difficult time navigating through their own humanity. And then the scripture says this. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. Listen, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. After pushing, 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 God shutting, God shutting, God shutting. You know what God did? In a supernatural manner, spoke to Paul and gave him the direction that he needed in that moment. And in that moment, he concludes, not through his own reasoning, his own logic, but through a supernatural expression of God, this is where I need to be. I need to be in Macedonia. I need to be preaching the gospel there. And guess what happened when he got to Macedonia? The doors were open. Shocker. Shocker that the door was open when he got to the place that God had called him to at the time that God had called him doing the thing that God had called him to do. Preach the gospel in Macedonia. Are you shocked by that? I'm not shocked by that. And then... The scripture says, the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Now that's kind of confusing, isn't it? What does that mean, ready for battle? Didn't God just speak to the fact that they really wasn't ready for battle? Didn't he just say that? He said, if they perceive war, if they face war, they'll break under the weight of that. And then the scripture goes on to say they were ready for battle. And that uh, seems like somewhat of a contradiction, right? Let me say this to you. When the scripture says, ready for battle, in Hebrew, it is called mush. And the definition is this, a battle array or military formation. It literally meant that they were in an organized, traveling, 
alignment that would be similar to that of a military group. Let me make this application to you. They looked like they were ready for battle, but they wasn't really ready for battle. They looked like they were in a military position, but they were in by, that by no means were they ready to engage in any type of conflict. God had already, already declared that, but they looked the part. And some of us, sometimes, when we look the part, we say to God, the long road isn't our road. I'm ready. Look at me. You know what I'm talking about? There's some of us in here, you know, we've been a Christian. We think, well, I've been a Christian. I've, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I got 30 years experience, 40 years experience, 50 years. No, you don't. You can be a Christian for 30, 40, 50 years, and you don't have 30, 40, 50 years of Christian experience. You got one year of Christian experience 30, 40, or 50 times. You've never gone deeper. You've never gone beyond the first year experience. So all you've done is replicate the one year experience, the one year of learning, the one year of ascertaining, equipping, and knowledge. You've just done that 50 times. There's a huge difference in having 50 years of experience, real experience, and having one year's experience 50 times. You understand that? Well, Trent's angry this morning. What's wrong with Trent? He didn't get enough sleep last night. I, I invited somebody to church. I told them they'd be encouraging. Trent, I'm very yelling at people. Listen, I'm trying to be honest with you. I'm trying to be honest with you. Let me say this to you. Rest in the long road. Don't worry about getting dressed up. Look in the part. Become the part. Experience what you need to experience. Subject yourself to God. Let Him do for you in the long travel, in the long road, what's needed to be done for you that you might give back to the kingdom at the right time, the right place, doing the right thing. Looking the part isn't going to deliver the goods, man. Kevin and I call ourselves golfers, don't we, Kevin? Neither one of us any good. But we have been out there on the golf course with people worse. Right? And uh, I remember one of the last times we were over here at E-Town. Uh, we, were, we were playing golf one day, and <clears throat> there was a group of three or four guys. And they, they were in front of us. Remember, we caught up with them. And we caught up with them. We were at the tee box, and I thought, well, <clears throat> we caught up with them. There's, there's four of them. There's only two of us. That's the reason we caught up with them. They look good, too, man. I mean, they, they had the Callaway shirt on. They had the Callaway shorts. They had the Adidas golf shoes. They had the $1,500 golf clubs. They were probably hitting the Pro V1 $4 golf balls. They looked the part. I mean, they had the tan. You could tell they'd been out on the golf course. I mean, they looked good. I told Kevin, I said, we, we good. These guys, we, we just try to keep up with them. That first guy went up there and hit that ball. He hit that ball about 10 yards, snaking across the fairway, killing worms left and right. That next guy come up there, he shanks one to the left. That next guy goes out of bounds, then one guy hits it down the middle. They were all celebrating. I look at Kevin, I was like, oh, no. We're in for a long day. You know why? We got some pretenders in front of us, some cats who look the part, but they're not golfers. 
And we're going to suffer. And when we look the part, but we're not carrying the things that God would have us carry, it isn't just us who's suffering. It's when we occupy places we shouldn't occupy in times, we shouldn't be occupying them, doing things we shouldn't be doing. All the people around us suffer. And you know what all the people around us are saying? But they look like it. They look like it. They look the part. Don't waste your time looking the part. Don't waste your time looking the part. Trust God in the time to make you the part. Trust Him. Trust Him. Hey, we're going to close, okay? Let's close. Let's jump down to verse 20 and 22. It says, after leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. You know where the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire wasn't? On the other paths where God wasn't leading. You know how you have God's provision, God's protection, God's presence, that's your kind of glory? You know where you have that? By following Him in the place that He's leading. If these Hebrew brothers and sisters said, no, this ain't the route, this ain't the path, I'm going another place. When you go the other place, remember, you're leaving the pillar of cloud and you're leaving the pillar of fire. Well, that's where God's leading. And why would you and I, why would you and I ever look at any journey in our life and say, because I'm so wise and I'm so sharp and I'm so discerning, I'm going to take the chance of traveling my way, even if it compromises having the presence and protection of God in my life. Why, why, do we, why would we do that? And then suffer under the weight of that. Then the scripture says this. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Left its place. That's where God leads from. You realize that, right? The front. He's not a pusher. He's a leader. He's not going to leave his place in leading you. The question that you and I answer every day in our lives, are we going to follow him? Am I going to follow him? Every day, we're making decisions about following Him. There's a beautiful scripture in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 20. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. Just two brothers being brothers. In the middle of life, 
They were casting a net into the lake where they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. Do you hear that? Do you hear that this morning? Come, follow me. Because I'm telling you, that's what he's saying to you this morning. He's saying to the young, he's saying to the old, and he's saying to everyone in between, come and follow me. And you know what our response really needs to be? Like that of Peter and Andrew. At once, they left their nets and followed him. They had no idea that they were embarking on the long road. Many experiences needed to be had. Many lessons needed to be taught. Many things needed to be acquired. And without knowing any of those things, they just laid it all down and said, yes, yes. And so that's where you and I are today. That's where you and I are today, not so different than the Hebrews, because that was the message Moses had delivered to them. Let's follow our God, and let's do it his way. Let those other things go, and let's move with him. Peter and Andrew do this, and you and I have that opportunity today in our own hearts to say yes, in our own hearts to let go, in our own hearts to follow him, really follow him, really follow him. But that's a decision you guys will make in your own hearts as individuals. There's no one getting in with dad, no one getting in with mom. I remember as a kid, I was with a guy named David Copley one time. And uh, Ricky's nephew, Mike Stearman, was with us. And, and he had no black truck he called, uh, what did he call it, the Black Beauty or what? Yeah. It was far from being beautiful, let me say this. But he had a big toolbox in the back of that truck. And I remember we went into a place that was called, uh, I think it was Fort Knox Drive-In. It was a Fort Knox Drive-In. And we didn't have but a couple of dollars to our name, all four of us put together. And we just slid, me and Mike said, we slid up underneath that toolbox. We, li we slid up underneath that toolbox, hiding underneath the toolbox. Paid for two, entered four. We got under, we enjoyed the benefits. The benefits of what they paid for. It ain't going to be like that in the kingdom. Ain't nobody sneaking in, man. Ain't nobody sliding under the toolbox. Ain't nobody doing that. Ain't nobody getting in on another person's relationship. It's all about yours and Jesus. 
And that's the decision we're making. We can follow as individuals in a collective group, but the decision is made as an individual. No one's grandparented in. None of us. Stand with me this morning. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Listen, out of respect for the individual to your left or to your right, please, please don't look around. Please don't look around. Just out of respect for them. If you're in that place this morning and you're wrestling with the idea of following Jesus, but you've said this morning, and listen, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you come up here. God can hear you just as well from back there as he can from up here. I'm not going to do that to you. I promise you that. But if you're in that place this morning, and man, you've been in church all your life, man. You've, you've been around church all your life. You've been in and out church all your life. But God has spoken to you this morning about really following him, about really trusting him. If that's you this morning, and you're saying in your heart, I decide this morning, I'm following Jesus. I'm laying my nets down and whatever else is in my hands to follow him. Would you just raise your hand? No one's looking around. Just raise your hand because I just want to, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you after I leave. I want to be praying for you this week. I'll see you. I'll see you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. So, Father, this morning, we've shared this scripture. We've shared your word. And you have spoken to people, and people are wrestling with some issues, some fear issues, some barrier issues, some, some things. But Father, they have said this morning that they want to follow you. And so Father, whatever it is, I pray this morning in the name of Jesus that they would hear you so so beautifully say to them, come follow me in their hearts and in their minds. All of that stuff that they've carried, all of that guilt, all of that shame, all the sin, all the things unrepented for, all the things that's come between you and them, all those things I pray this morning, that in the seat of their heart and spirit, they would confess with their mouth, Believe in their heart that you raised Christ from the dead. And because they're willing to trust that truth, Lord, you have said this morning that you'll save them too, that you'll rescue them too, that you'll deliver them too. And it isn't just the following at this moment, but Lord, in the following to come, Oh, God, may they trust you, even if they find themselves on the long road. May they trust you. And, God, I pray as they're on that long road, would you minister to their hearts? Would you show them? Would you open their eyes to the things that they're, they're garnering and benefiting from on the long road? That it's not a waste of time. Would you open the veil 
And let them see, oh God, that you have their best interest in the seat of your heart. And that you're protecting them. You're guiding them. Because you want them to experience arriving at that place, at that time, to do that thing. In the power of your spirit. And so, Father, I bless my brothers and sisters. I bless everyone that's come this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them. I pray the truth of the scripture would sit so deep in them that they'd have a hunger for your word and for your presence. It would move them to desire more and more and more of you. I thank you, Father, that you've allowed us to gather in your name, to open your word and to share it. And I thank you for the hearts that have responded this morning. I ask that you'd bless them. We ask that in the name of Jesus. And the sons and daughters of God said amen. Amen. God bless you.